0: i thankful that you're here on this cold, wet morning, but I hope that in this place you can feel the warmth of God's people, the warmth of this season. How exciting to welcome so many new people to our church family, and uh, what a great job our brother Will Webster did in that interpretive reading of Romans chapter 5, 1-6, through six, which is the theme of our, our, our month together. Today we get to this wonderful, wonderful word, love. And you know, in our country over the last week, love has been on full display. As we've seen that that love relationship between the 43rd and the 41st president. I, I thought it was so significant watching whatever your political persuasion is, the amount of love in that family. I was watching an interview with George W. Bush where they asked him, what did your dad say to you when you became president? And you can tell they're they're waiting on some elaborate answer about policy and decisions and foreign knowledge. and, And he simply answers with three words. My father said, I love you. And then W. said this, those are the most important words that you'll ever hear. I love you. And they truly are. And how fitting in the dying breath of the 41st president, he says to his son, I love you too. And today, we get to talk about this wonderful thing that we all need so desperately, which is love. And you see in the Christmas story, another father's love is so evident as he puts his love for his son and for us on full display. You know, even Hollywood picks up on that the Christmas stories are always to end well. So, some of the movies, you wouldn't think about being very spiritual, like How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It ends up with the Scrooge actually being generous. In, in Charlie Brown, you know, he's surrounded by this world of greed and excess. And yet Charlie Brown founds, finds the real meaning of Christmas with a sad little tree. And then even a movie as spiritual as Christmas Vacation. How many of you are Christmas Vacation fans? Man, but well, what a story about Clark Griswold who wants the perfect Christmas for his family and has everything but that. I mean, one of my favorite characters in that movie is Cousin Eddie. You remember Cousin Eddie? Cousin Eddie's the, the relative you don't want to show up for Christmas, you know? And, and Cousin Eddie shows up and he just makes a disaster of everything Maybe my favorite scene is after he's put all the Christmas lights on the house. You remember the the cat that bites the cord? Not a nice scene. But you guys know how I feel about cats, okay? Just wanted to bring that back up. Well, I mean, it's just all these, even that movie, in the long run, Griswold discovers love just with his family. That's what he needed. And so today, as we talk about love, let's go back to the real story. The original Christmas story. Just like love was found in all those unlikely places in those movies, in the original story, we find love in an unlikely place, a barn. In an unlikely event, the birth of God. To the most unlikely of people, a teenage virgin named Mary. It's like the dad was saying to his son one day at the beginning of the holidays, like many of us may be saying, guys, let's all work together and let's make this the best Christmas ever. And I love the son's response. Dad, you know it's impossible to improve on that first Christmas. And guys, when we talk about love this morning, you can't improve on that first Christmas of love because what you will hear is the most important words you will ever hear in your life which is, I love you. You know, many of us grew up with a song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And I don't know of any time in history where it was more needed. We talked last week about the skyrocketing rate of depression and even suicide in our land. And guys, yes, last week we talked about the the need of hope on solid promises. But we also must talk this week about what love does. Many of us have attended funerals recently of people who committed suicide. And when you go to that, that service, you, you can't help but see as this hundreds of people come or dozens of people come when it's only supposed to be family. And you think, if only he had known how much everybody loved him. And often we go to those kind of places and we even think to ourselves, why didn't I express it more freely? So they'd known they were loved. Would that not have made a difference? As you see, it's the love of God that can make the biggest difference. And the reason there's so much despondency in our world today is because we have sort of kicked God out. Uh, a friend of mine shared this quotation with me this week. He didn't even know where it came from. It's a powerful quotation about our country and the opioid crisis and what may be causing it. Listen to this quotation. If Karl Marx was right and religion is the opium for the masses, that's what the communist leader said, religion is just an opium for the masses, I find it revealing that with the rise of unbelief, the use of opioids is increasing tremendously. You see, it wasn't religion that messed people up, it was the lack of God. And and, and when we lose God, we forget the things that are really important. And the most important thing we forget is that we are loved by the most important being that ever walked on this earth, Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to to Mary. And we're gonna talk about Mary's love story with Jesus. Think about this, guys. If anybody ever felt the love of God, it was Mary. In that Magnificat that we'll hear later in our service, she recognizes that she is so blessed to be chosen of God. And isn't that what love's all about, is to be chosen by someone who gives himself to you. So here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna walk through basically every passage in the New Testament about Mary. And as we walk through this love story, We're going to learn some things about love. Let's start in Luke chapter 1. The angel said to her, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, guys, listen. Mary was greatly troubled in his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We think about an angel showing up being really sweet. For most people in this day, you would be scared to death if an angel shows up, especially if he's got this message. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, can you imagine just the confusion that Mary feels in this moment? A teenage girl being told she'll bear the Son of God? There's a question she's just got to ask, so she blurts out. How will this be, Mary asks the angel. Since I'm a virgin, you're saying I'm going to be pregnant, and yet I'm a virgin, Those two things just don't add up. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of God will overshadow you. Wouldn't you like to bend there when Mary gave that explanation to Joseph? That had to be rough. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And listen, this is mind-blowing for Mary. She has no frame of reference. This has never happened. For a virgin to have a baby, more or less to have a baby, that's God. But then as the discussion goes on, you finally see one of my very favorite verses in all the Bible. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. My favorite translation of that is, I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said. What's happening? Mary is surrendering herself to God. And this is the beginning of that that love walk that she's going to have with Jesus. Well, keep watching. We remember back in Luke chapter 2, she is warned, a sword will pierce your soul. And then we begin to see Jesus grow up, and Scripture says that Mary treasured every one of those moments. And then we see Jesus begin his ministry, and Mary pushes him to the forefront. John chapter 2, they're at a wedding feast, they're running out of wine, which was a cardinal uh, uh, break of etiquette. And and so Mary pushes Jesus to turn the water into wine. Maybe Jesus knew how that would get him in trouble. And he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour's not yet come. It's not time for me to start miracles. I certainly am going to be in trouble with the rest of the history of the world that my first miracle was turning water into wine. And then Mary, listen to what Mary said. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She just pushes him to the forefront. And how cool, someone made this comment in Bible class this morning that Jesus' first miracle was to keep this family from embarrassment and to obey what his mommy wanted. And it also is the turning point when now she recognizes the job from now on is for me to obey him. And then you keep reading the story. And finally, we get to, to a place where it seems that Jesus' family is embarrassed by him. I mean, you know that his brothers don't believe until after the resurrection, and so they're getting all these rumors back that, that Jesus is claiming these crazy claims about being God in the flesh. He's doing miracles. He's my goodness, casting out demons. Now, you know, if all of a sudden your brother looked over at the dinner table and said, "Hey, I just got to reveal something to you. Um, you don't know this about me, but I'm God." You would have felt just the way they were and so they're coming in march chapter 3 almost to the rescue of jesus Now here's a point i've never thought about before What's mary doing with these dudes? Does, Does mary doubt that jesus is god? I don't think so It's been revealed to her. She knows it. I think mary is going to this scene because she wants Her sons To finally see who jesus really is And so they come and um Look at verse, this verse. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. They're outside this home, standing outside. They sent someone to, in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brother are outside looking for you. And then Jesus doesn't walk out the door. He doesn't go greet them. He says something that could have been offensive. Who are my mother and my brothers, he yes. asked. Then he looked at those Seated in a circle around him and said here are my mother and my brothers My real family is my spiritual family And you see even jesus beginning to to push away And you know that had to that had to be painful for mary And then it also painful to her is my goodness guys when she submitted to the will of god She ruined her reputation When Jesus goes back to Nazareth to teach, here's the rumors, verse 3, Mark 6. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. When they say, isn't this Mary's son, that's not a compliment. What they're saying is, this guy is the illegitimate son of this loose woman. So to be in this love story with Jesus, she loses her reputation and then finally in one of the most painful scenes in all the bible we see mary standing beneath the cross some of you know because you've experienced that there's nothing more painful on this earth than the death of your child before the time near the cross of jesus stood his mother his mother's sister mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. She has to remember Simeon's word. A sword will piss you. And yet you see this tender love moment with Jesus. Why does he assign her to John? She's got family. Well, they don't believe yet. She knows this is the, Jesus knows this is the darkest, worst night of Mary's life. And so he makes sure that disciple John is there to love her and to take care of her. So what a story. What do we learn from this? Let me give you five things we learned. Number one, love is a difficult choice. Now, now listen to me, guys. Love is always a choice. No one can make you love somebody. You have to choose that. And and I believe in this story that Mary had a choice. That's why those words in Luke chapter 1, verse 38 are so significant. Mary says, I know this is what God wants for me. I'm making the choice to be obedient. May it be as you have said. Mary didn't have to do this. Now, love is a difficult choice because number two, love is costly. I Understand this. For Mary to obey God and to follow Jesus wrecked her life. It wrecked her dreams. It wrecked her reputation. It was painful. It was risky. Because here's the truth about love. You cannot love from a distance. And when you get close enough to someone to love them, at some point you'll get hurt. It's impossible to really love somebody without there being some pain in the relationship. Mary even experienced this with the perfect son of God. Now, many of us, because we know that love is painful, and maybe you were hurt by that first spouse or by that child or by abusive parents or you name it, and, and to protect yourself, you have put up this wall that says, nobody gets close Not letting anybody in because I can't risk the hurt again. But my friends, the problem of not risking the hurt is that you never experience real love. Because number three, love brings great joy. I mean, Mary treasures every moment. Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus even while he leaves home and you see him heal people and teach like nobody else has ever taught and love like no one else has ever loved? You see, my friends, listen to me. Listen closely. It's love that makes life rich. I've been by many deathbeds, but I've never heard anybody at their deathbed regret their love for their family. They might regret that they spent too much time at their job. They might regret that they were too busy to really be with their kids. They might regret that they hurt their spouse. You see, those are the things you regret because in in death, everything becomes crystal clear. But you see, guys, what makes your life wealthy is that you love people. The problem is, Many of us aren't willing to pay the price of love, which is pain. You've heard me give the statistic before. When Stephanie and I were young married, a counselor said to us, most marriages don't really get good until about eight years. And some of you are thinking, man, that's some bad news. And some of you are thinking, well, when's it going to come? I've been married 20 years. But love doesn't, marriage doesn't, why? Because, you know, it's after that seven-year itch that you finally decide to settle down. If we could be really honest here, don't be offended by what I'm about to say, but most of us, when we get married, it's infatuation. It's not until later when we've been totally exposed to each other, when your spouse knows every bad thing about you, and you know every bad thing about them, and yet you choose to still love them, that you really experience real love. You see, real love is a spouse or a friend or a brother, sister in Christ— who knows the worst about you and still loves you. It's crazy. That's what God gives you. And because of that, number four, love is life changing. It changes you. If you've ever been loved in that unconditional way by someone you didn't really deserve to be loved that way, it changes you. You see, if you'll really let this morning the love of God hit you, that's this is a crazy good story. Don't just blow through Christmas and just go rote on me. It's a crazy story that God enters the world through a teenage girl and is born. To, to say loud and clear, yes, the most important words you will ever hear, I love you. We see that happen. I'm so excited about our church making this choice to purposely pour into this elementary school a couple blocks from our building. And, and we're beginning to see what that kind of love will do. We've gotten some messages from some teachers saying, you know what, I just can't believe what your church is doing for us. We want to visit your church. Some of them already have. And then the principal called us the other day with the coolest story. Shannon called to tell us that uh, there was a grandmother that brought her kids to Halcyon Elementary School. She had she had custody of her children because of the mistakes of the Of the mom and dad. And the grandmother was not happy about it. In fact, she was difficult to deal with. She was quite bitter about having to raise these children. And then Shannon says, the day our youth ministry delivered those Thanksgiving boxes, which gave everybody a full Thanksgiving meal, and that grandmother received that in that hallway that she broke down in tears. And the principle says, she's never been the same. You see, that's the kind of love that changes us. One more point here. Love must be re-gifted. You see, that's our theme this month. Here's the passage that goes with this. We love because he first loved us. You see, what love is meant to do is love is meant to come from God to you and from you to someone else. In fact, if you interrupt that process, you will destroy love. It's like one of those old-fashioned water pumps, you know? If you stop using it, it it freezes up on you. And before long, it, it, it doesn't do anything. So what you have to do is you have to pour some water in it before it will begin to produce water again. And my friends, listen to me. It's like that that, that that faucet you may have to leave dripping because it's so cold at night, you don't want it to freeze up. And your love's the same way. If it just stops with you, it freezes up. If it just stops with selfishness, if it stops with you counting what this person's done, what that person's done, you will destroy love. Selfishness destroys love. But here's, here's where we'll keep it going. In fact, it will flow through you even in a higher rate, is if you begin to take the love of God and you just let it flow right through you and you begin to re-gift the love that God has given you to somebody else. And then the love grows and it changes you and it changes the people. You see, Mary is the greatest re-gifter of all time because by the time we see her in the book of Acts, she's not just known as Jesus' mother, she's now known as Jesus' disciple. She has received the Savior, and now she's playing big, and she's giving him away in this amazing movement that starts. So I want to challenge you, like Mary, to play big this Christmas. I want to challenge you to love this Christmas. I I love that phrase there. I I hope you pick up on—that phrase will cut— One of two ways, loving, I'm gonna go love people, but also, is it even possible for us to love this season? I've heard so many of you express the frustration, even the dread of this season. You see, one thing I think that makes Christmas hard is family, right? I mean, in this church family, guys, we get to sort of choose each other. If you don't like it, you go find somebody else. But in your biological family, or your family, family, you didn't have a choice. Either they gave birth to you or they chose you. And so, so sometimes that's hard because every family's got somebody difficult, right? Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy right now, all right? B- because the way you're looking at me, I'm, I am determining you're probably that difficult person, okay? You just don't know it. But, but when you go, I mean, I hear some of you think, man, I'm so excited about Christmas. Then you go get with your family, and there's all this tension and these past stories. And before long, you don't love Christmas. And that's our goal this month is to turn that thing around. So let me give you some really practical things to take with you today, okay? First of all, if you're going to love this Christmas, make love top priority. If nothing else happens this Christmas, love people. It'll be a success. And that's why last week we said, you and I have got to slow down. Listen to me. You can't love someone when you're in a hurry. You got that? You can't. I mean, that, that's why some of you weren't very loving on the way to church this morning. Anybody have a good fight on the way to church trying to get here in town? Raise your hand. It's okay. We're an open church oh, thank you very much. All right. Yes. Oh, thank you, David. Somebody's honest here. Why? Because when you're in a hurry, you start being short with each other. And that's why if this Christmas is going to be great, you got to slow down. You got to spend less because it's hard to enjoy Christmas when you know the bills are coming in in January. And then second point, choose loving moments over doing moments. You see, there's so much to be done, so much decorating, so much cooking, so much cleaning, so much going. And guys, I know doing can be part of expressing love, but I remember the story not of this Mary, but of Mary and Martha, where Mary chooses a loving moment over Martha, who chooses a doing moment, and Jesus commends Mary. So, so this Christmas, your house doesn't have to be perfect. The food doesn't have to be perfect. The gifts don't have to be perfect. The decorations don't have to look perfect. But if it's going to be successful, what you've got to do is you've got to cut down and you've got to love the people right in front of you. And that brings me to the last point here. Stop and listen with your eyes, ears, and body. Now, a kid walked up to me after first service and says, what does it mean to listen with your body? Guys, 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's you, eye contact, body lean. I mean, guys, someone said the way you share love is T-I-M-E. You give somebody your undivided attention for some time. Now, guys, I'm not always good about that. In fact, I'm pretty bad about that at times often Stephanie will come in from work, and she share with me everything in her day, and I'm watching the news or reading the newspaper, and, and she gets a little perturbed to me, and so she says, did you hear a word I said? And then I will, not like that, Not like, nicer, yes, excuse me. <laughs> Would you let me be dramatic for a moment? Okay. <laughs> Maybe not so dramatic. But And and then here's what I'll do that really, really upsets the choice. I will quote back to her what she said verbatim. You think that worked? Think she's happy with that? No. Eye contact, buddy. Listen to what I'm saying. And this Christmas, slow down and have those moments where you actually pay attention. But more than paying attention to each other... The big challenge for us right now is to pay attention to God and his love. And that's why we're coming to the communion tables right now. If you're our guest, we've got tables around the worship center that you'll go to. Before you go to those, though, our worship team is going to sing an incredible song. Mary, did you know... Guys, when Mary signed up for this love relationship with Jesus, she had no clue what this roller coaster would take her. And when you signed up to follow Jesus, you probably didn't have a clue either. But I love some of the words of this song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? Mary, did you know that the child you delivered will soon deliver you? So, guys, I don't know where this love relationship will take you, but I know it will take you to salvation. It'll take you to hear those most important words. There was a survey done not long ago of Americans. What are the three things you want to hear most? Here they were. Number one, I love you. Number two, I forgive you. Listen to this. Number three, supper is ready. There you go. Guys, those words are in red on your screen, and literally those words are in red in your Bible. Because what God wants you to know, more than anything else, what will change your life and change this Christmas, is if you will listen closely and hear the most important words you have ever heard from God. I love you. Today we close our service with an amazing story of, of re-gifting right here in our church. Monica Green uh, joins me on the stage to talk about Meredith Foundation a little bit. Uh, normally we have Jerry, but we want the stage to look better today, so um, we invited Monica. Um, honestly, we felt like with talking about a mother's love that, that we, we needed Monica today. And so I, I know this is not Monica's most comfortable place but she's been willing to do it. So many of you are new or you've never heard the story. So I'd love you to tell just a little bit about Meredith and uh, how this all came to be.
1: Um, in December of 95, um, we were pregnant with our first child. Um, we had waited like nine years. So I was 33 so we were kind of, when you're older parent, you worry about everything, but we we had been kind of worried, but the pregnancy had been fine. And at um, 30 weeks, I went in for a checkup, and they um, said they saw some problems, but they said, it's, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal. And I was like, no, I'm coming back the next day because I need to know what this is. And so... We went through a two-week period of having tests and things done. We went to Birmingham, and they had said all along that the worst-case scenario would be trisomy 18, which is an extra um, 18th chromosome, and it just is a very bleak outlook. And so... um, we didn't realize as we went to Birmingham and they were eliminating things, we, didn't, we would be like, oh, that's good. But we, we were in that fog that so many of you know about when you're going through troubling times. And so we didn't realize that as they were eliminating things that were wrong, it was pushing us closer to the trisomy 18 outcome. And so... Um, I was I was originally scheduled to have her on February 13th, and I ended up having her. Um, they had to do like an emergency C-section on December the 18th, and um, I had her, which was a great thing because with trisomy 18, only 10 percent um, make it through birth and then 90% don't live to their first birthday so that's the things they had told us but I had to have her first and um, they, it took like four days for them to get the results back and so on the fourth day they told us that she had trisomy 18 and um, so we knew that it was just a matter of time we didn't know how long um, she lived nine days and um she she was in the neonatal intensive care unit, and it was they were she had awesome nurses and we got to to see her and hold her and love her and the The greatest thing about that is, even though we miss her greatly, is that her nine days all she knew um, was love, like I held her she died in my arms, which is what well, the good thing about that mm. is that all she knew it's love she didn't know any of the bad things of this world and she's in heaven so that gives us great comfort but that was our story about meredith
0: wow only a mother can uh really explain that kind of love and it's so touching that, that you so quickly were able to move that perspective that this is eternally really a even a good thing And then birthed out of this was what we call the Meredith Foundation. Uh, Could you explain, Monica, what what that's all about? Because I think this is the beautiful thing I see today is that you took what most of us would look at as as just a tragic thing. And you and Jerry have moved it to something that blesses people. So explain how that was birthed and what it's about.
1: Well, it it did take time, but a big thing is we couldn't have gotten through this at all without our church family. I mean, that's, that's the only way. I, I just don't know how people could do it without it. So the church was very important to us, and as as many of you know that have lost children and have lost loved ones, the most important thing is that they're remembered. And we were, you know, with her being only nine days old, it's easy for you know, life has to go on for everybody else, even though we wanted it to stop. But we just didn't want her to be forgotten. And so the whole—we knew the first year, you know, would be really hard. And on her first birthday, we were like, we just, we just want to do something so her life will be remembered um, and so since she was born December 18th and died December 27th we we wanted it to not be sad you know we didn't want to be sad and as I said before I had um like six nieces and nephews from 13 to age one and so they were all very supportive and you know supporting us through all this but we didn't want Christmas to be sad and so um we knew the best way to do that um was was to um, serve other people, put our focus on others, and so we asked the elders if we could could do um, have the Meredith Foundation to help needy children at Christmas through the church, and we we wanted to do it through the church because we knew I mean, the church had just been great to us, and we we knew that they would be, and so um, we started out doing that needy children and. You know, our, our goal was small at first, and of course the church just exceeded that. And so we've been able to help anything with families with any problems with their children, I mean, over the years. So we try now to do it throughout the year, but our, our primary focus is helping those that need help at Christmas. And then we do anything involving children that we can help the mothers, fathers, or grandparents
0: any idea how many families or children you've helped
1: probably we said about 2500 we usually do at least 100 100 a year and it's 23 years because (laughs) meredith will be 23 december 18th and we've done it 23 years because we did it that first year. praise god for that
0: Monica, this year we have a special emphasis, and tell a little bit about that.
1: And let me say, not we. We are the vessel. You are the ones who've done the Landmark, Landmark Foundation. The Meredith Foundation, not us. Um, this year, you know, the church is partnering with um, Halcyon Elementary. So there have been 25 to 50 families, not children, families. And you average, think they average two to four kids that have been identified that that are needy. And so um, we, that is our primary focus this year because we, we want to do that because we've, we've you know been partnering with them through the church so we're really excited about that not excited that there are needy people but you know that's we're excited that we can help them and relieve the burden for those families
0: Mm, thank you that's such a great focus guys if you want to be a part of this uh we're gonna flash a number up here you could text your giving And, and when you're walking out today there'll be people handing boxes for you to give your cash or check whatever you can give uh, but right now, would you um, thank uh, Jerry and Monica for what God has done? Thanks. <laughs> Again, I, I don't know a more powerful regifting story. Now today, I, I want to remind you that all of this starts by letting God love you. You're not able to do what Jerry Monica did, but many of you have been able to do with tragedy unless you understand the love of God and understand that eternal promise. And so today, if if you come to our assembly today and and you know you you just need someone to love on you. You you just need this church to pray for you. This front row's open. We're about to sing a song. If today's the day that you just need to say, you know what, this season is really rough. I need some special prayers. I feel really lonely. The losses are going to be, then please make your way to the front. And before we walk out of this place, we will pray for you. So come right now while we sing.